Hello, Texans. Welcome to the program. Always a pleasure on a Thursday night to talk football any night of the week, but especially on Thursday because we, that's Mark Vandermeer and John Harris, welcome the General John McClain, Sports Radio 610, sportsradio610.com, the Utopia Football Podcast, among other things. General, how's it going? It's going great. I'm ready for training camp. Can't wait. So many fun things to watch. I'm, uh, a lot of people don't like being out in the heat, I do. I've been in Texas my whole life, and uh, heat doesn't bother me because you get to sweat, and I love to sweat. So I can't wait to see D'Amico, <laughs> Bobby Slowick, Matt Burke, C.J. Stroud, Will Anderson Jr., and all the new players. Yeah, it's obviously exciting to see the new players. I think the fans are going to be excited to see the rookies, uh, no doubt. General, you mentioned some of those players that you're really excited about seeing. Outside of C.J. and the quarterbacks, What's probably the biggest storyline to you heading into this training camp? And what number is this? I know we're approaching. My first one was in 1977. So this is 47 training camps? I don't know. I can't do math. I don't know. I I, I can't do math. I never never could. But your storyline going in outside of CJ, what's probably the biggest storyline or the biggest thing that you want to kind of pay attention to early in camp? There's a lot of things that I I did. I have a column on sportsradio610.com about 10 things. D'Amico needs to, to uh, achieve in training camp. And there's there's something at every position. You know, it's, it seems weird. The position to me that is the most set is safety. With Jalen Petrie and Jimmy Ward and veteran backups, Eric Murray and MJ Stewart. Now they may keep another one because they're top-heavy at corner. But the one thing I want to see, they paid it dearly to get Will Anderson Jr., and he was the best defensive prospect in the draft. A lot of people had him as the best prospect overall. You know, he's favored to be NFL Defensive Rookie of the Year. And will he be a double-digit sack guy as a rookie? And he should. And if he's as good as everybody thinks he is, and he was at the University of Alabama, then he would be the first since J.J. Watt at 16 in 2018. I can't wait to watch him. And the ends overall, because Jonathan Grenard, last year of his contract, he's been hurt way too much. Guys have a, a history of staying healthy in the last year of their contracts. And John could be playing for big money from somebody. And then can Jerry Hughes stay in that fountain of youth to give them three good pass rushers coming off the edge? Because it all starts up front. And the other thing, we're not going to know this till the season starts. Will they finally be able to be respectable against the run because they've been an embarrassment the last four years? Biggest improvement, offense or defense this year? The secondary and the pass coverage statistically was pretty good, uh, among the best in the NFL. And a lot of that had to do with the way Lovey Smith played zone. He wanted the ball always to be in front of the players and them to be looking at the ball instead of turning and running it with receivers and having to adjust. But I think you've got to run it better. Damian Pierce needs to stay healthy. Devin Singletary could turn out to be Nick Casario's best free agent signing if he can give him about a 65-35 split and catch most of the passes. No need for Damian Pierce to take a beating catching the ball because he's going to take a beating with his running style so they have to run the ball better and we more consistently and a lot of that has to do last year 
was the fact that Pierce got hurt. They didn't have anybody. And then they have to stop the run better. And I'm not exactly sure how they're going to do that. But if they don't, they're going to be spinning their wheels. General, you mentioned the secondary, and there was some activity uh, this offseason on social media from a secondary member, and it kind of raised some eyebrows of what was going on. Shaquille Griffin was added at corner. Kobe Francis, the second-year guy that could look at, has got some ability. How do you think this plays out in the secondary? Do you think Steven Nelson holds out? How do you kind of think this plays out at the corner position in particular? If you're 30 years old going into your ninth year and you hold out at corner, you're stupid because you're not going to get a big contract. You know, maybe they've been asking for a one-year extension, give them a little more money somewhere, move it around. He played well last year, but they got depth. Javier Thomas was tremendous in the slot when Stingley went out and they had to adjust with Desmond King the second. King played well. And they need Stingley to stay healthy, of course. And um, Nick Casario's first news conference at training camp, I'm going to ask him, is your blue vest in the cleaners or is it just too hot? <laughs> now, I hope most people in the media will understand when I say that based on what Stephen Nelson, Nelson posted about him wearing that blue vest and calling him a name. And uh, I'm sure Nick's got a good sense of humor. He'll understand. But uh, that's a pretty stupid thing to do when you're trying to get another another year or two on your contract. Well, John and I are very heavily invested in Nick Casario because we once <laughs> both wore vests here for an interview with Nick. Was Nick wearing a vest that day, too? I hope he was because that would have been weird if we were both wearing vests and he wasn't, Johnny. But anyway, General how will they handle the quarterback reps? How are these going to be divvied up at the beginning of camp? We all know where it's going eventually, but how soon and how will they handle it to start training camp? I wish I had a blue vest. I'd wear it to the first day of practice. <laughs> I just don't have one. Um, well, first of all, D'Amico told us in his last news conference after the offseason program that the starter would play out. We all knew, we all know, and that C.J. Stroud is going to be a starter. Davis Mills knows it. Case Keenum knows it. The t- their teammates know it. Coaches know it. Drive Johnson, Bobby Slowick, they all know it. And so I'm guessing they're not going to anoint him right away. I'm guessing they're, it's just my opinion, that after those joint practices, because they don't want to say, okay, he's the starter, and then have him go into joint practices and not look good, because he might struggle when he plays that first game in New England, depending on how much Bill Belichick plays his defensive starter. So I'm guessing before the last game against New Orleans that uh, we'll see him as the starter. And maybe it'll be before that, but we all know it's going to happen, not if, but a win. And I think it would be good for Stroud just to have that pressure off his shoulders. Because when we interview him, we're going to be asking him about it, and we're going to be asking D'Amico about it after every single practice. General, you mentioned C.J. Stroud, and the guys that he gets to throw to have not gotten a lot of, um, let's say, good run from national media in particular. If there were any wide receiver rankings, power rankings in the NFL, typically the Texans were 32 at the receiver position. But I've, I've thought about this. I feel like it's not going to be number 32 
but it's a, a unit that could really be a lot better than we think. John Mechie potentially coming back. We'll wait to see uh, when he comes back. Tank Dell's got obviously some explosiveness. If Nico would say healthy, those are a lot of ifs. But how do you look at this receiver position? And lastly, who do you think leads from the receiver group, leads that group in receptions? Not Dalton Schultz, because that's who I think will lead the team. But who do you think from the receiver group leads the team in receptions this year? First of all, they're going that's gonna be a position that'll be targeted next next year in the offseason program. And when people look at it from afar, I understand it. Robert Woods coming off a bad season, cut after one season with the Titans. Uh, Nico Collins can't stay healthy. John Mechie the third had to fight cancer and recover from a torn ACL. They don't know much about Tank. He's 5'8 and 165. Noah Brown had his best season with the tight Cowboys uh, the first time he got to play a lot. And Xavier Hutch, Xavier Hutchinson, was great at Iowa State, but hey, he was a six-round pick. So there's no playmakers there. I believe that it's going to be Robert Woods. He's a season removed from a torn ACL. And he was playing really well for the Rams when he suffered that torn ACL. So last year's that proverbial you know, get adjusted mentally here after major surgery. I think because he's a veteran, because he works closely with C.J. Stroud, I think they will develop great rapport in passing situations, clutch situations. He's going to know that Woods is going to be in a place he's supposed to be, so I think it'll be Robert Woods. And the one that I'd say keep an eye on is Noah Brown. 6'2", 215, he can play inside or outside, in a really good off-season program. General, we'll get back to the Texans situation, and they don't have to deal with this kind of situation for another year or two with Damian Pierce, but the running back market talk out there with Saquon Barkley and others being so vocal about it, about the running backs not getting these long extensions, is this sort of a hangover from, say, Zeke getting paid and maybe not panning out the way they wanted Todd it to. Todd Gurley getting paid. Todd Gurley. I mean, Derrick Henry got paid, but hey, you can't say that's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. So well, Henry only makes twelve and a half million. Yeah. You know the guy makes all the money is Christian McCaffrey, sixteen and a half million, and he was not the same player after his major knee surgery with the Panthers. Then he goes to the 49ers and he's great. A lot of that has to do with playing on an offense with so many playmakers because you can't focus on one player. And I think this on the running backs, the collective bargaining agreement is the reason it's happening because teams are able to do that. You can't pay everybody. And Matt Miller of ESPN pointed out, you keep a guy for five years for his first round pick, you franchise him twice. That means next year, Saquon Barkley and Josh, Josh Jacobs could go from 10-1 to 12-5 or something because they get the raise. And so then they'd be seven years with their teams, and then the teams could just let them go like they did Zeke Elliott, who's still only 27, and then draft or, or sign a young guy and let them come in. And it's a cruel world. I know Mike Florio speculated analytics has something to do with it because analytics can point out how you can win without having a great running back or paying a great running back a lot of money. Jacobs didn't help the Raiders. They were terrible. Barkley helped the Giants be a humongous surprise and get in the playoffs. And Derrick Henry, you know, anybody's worth it to me. It's not Christian McCaffrey. 
It's Henry. Now, Henry's 29, and the last year of his re his second contract. And so he'll be 30 next year. You know Mike Vrabel's going to run him and run him and run him some more and get the most out of him he can. And then Derrick Henry could be looking for another job at 30 next year, taking a minimum. And probably finding not quite the market he even had a few years ago. I mean, he signed – I mean, you you would think Derrick Henry – as you looked at that two-year, I think it's two-year, $25 million deal that he signed, that was his quote-unquote second contract. You're like, man, that's stealing in some sense mm-hmm. for, what, for sure. what Tennessee gets out of him. And I think that's what the running backs are all arguing is like, man, this is all out of whack. We provide way more value than what we're getting as a percentage of the salary of the team and all that kind of stuff. But I know people don't love to hear contract talk, but uh, away we go. Once it should be complainer fullbacks. They're being faced yeah. out of the NFL. They're done. It is weird. You see a tight end like Evan Ingram get a deal for more money than a running back like uh, Jacobs or Barkley. Who's going to contribute more to their teams this year and help them win? It's going to be the running backs, not Evan Ingram. And I think part of that, too, John, is the fact that, and you, you mentioned it, you mentioned the two things, tight end and running back. You get kind of pigeonholed in. Look, McCaffrey catches, what, 80 pass? I mean, he caught 88 passes one year. So, I mean, he's got receiver value on top of having running back value. So, I think that's part of it. It's like Kyle Juszczyk, you know, he's a quote-unquote fullback, but he does so much for that 49ers team. He's as valuable as anybody and gets paid uh, like it. General, the Indianapolis Colts put out a picture of their new Indiana Knights uniform. A, how bad is it? B, what's the best alternate uniform you've seen this summer of teams wearing in 2023? Well, I, I haven't seen it, but my favorite throwback uniforms are the Chargers. Mm, I just yeah. Ever since the Chargers came out and I was a kid, I've loved those uniforms. I'm glad that Texans are going to wear those battle red helmets for three games. Those things are great. Um, I wish they could wear them for every game. Yeah. And uh, uh, the throwback uniforms that the Texans are not going to like. No, the Texans don't care. Houston fans and media won't like is when they see DeAndre Hopkins wearing Columbia blue when the uh, Titans play the Texans in Nashville during the se- late in the season. There but, have been some pictures of those floating around today, too. Oh, really? A number 22 with Henry on the back, number 31 with Bayard on the back. Okay. And on the collar, on the collar, get this, it says, love you blue. All right, that's too much. That's too much. But General, I'm going to go here. I think this is a lot of whining by the organization because people in Nashville, correct me if I'm wrong, they don't give a flip about Columbia Blue and Love You Blue and the Oilers. And but it's their throwback uniform. Yeah, but so what? They if don't you're care. you got to wear a throwback uniform, you got to wear what your team used to wear, and that's the, that's the uh, Columbia Blue. Now, typically... The fans in Nashville, they think their throwback uniforms, Tennessee Oilers, which they wore their first two years before they switched to the Titans, got their new stadium, new facility, new uniforms. They always had a part of Columbia Blue, but Adams insisted on it. But uh, as far as Amy Adams Strunk, the owners and others are concerned, you know, their throwbacks are the Oilers. Texans have nothing to do with the Oilers. Yeah, that's true. But, you know, Love You Blue has a lot to do with Houston. And of course it does. And you're, you're summoning this bond between a city and a team, 
and you're kind of dangling it in front of the fans that still remember. I don't like it at all. But let me ask you this. You've been around for a long time. So have I. And I've seen uniforms come and go. You have the Seahawks retro uniform. It's funny because when they switched, everyone thought, oh, great idea to switch. This is badass. This is great. And now, oh, the old uniform is cool again. Just like I lived in New England when the Patriots used to play with the old Pat Patriot on the side of the helmet. And they couldn't wait to get rid of those uniforms. And now they're the hottest thing ever when they bring them out again. Everything old is new again. Am I right? What about the Buccaneers? They're going back to peaches. And everybody hated those colors. And now they're like, they're oh, cool. Yeah. I don't like the Seahawks' current uniforms that they switched to. There's a lot of them. You know, maybe it's just because I'm old and I love nostalgia. I used to think a lot of those uniforms were great. And uh, and I've always liked the Texans' uniforms. I like the combination of red, white, and blue that Bob McNair insisted on. I love the shade of it and i'm glad when the texans unveil their new uniforms at the draft next year they're going to have the same colors we'll see about that surprise all right i'm just just dangling stuff no, out you there. won't yeah. there will be no surprise <laughs> the well we'll be surprised what it looks like they're going to be different though yeah. they got to be a little different so we'll they'll see. be different they'll just be the same colors any other colors you might be hoping for that's dead in the water well the other thing is the chargers they kind of wear the throwbacks now and when they flash highlights of Dan Fouts and Eric Coriel, that was the era in the early 80s, late 70s, where people thought we should go back to the old uniforms. But now those are cool again. Mm-hmm. That's probably, that should be their throwback. I it's like the so Rams, weird. too. Yeah, exactly. No no one oh, seemed to like their new uniforms. Their new uniforms stink. Yeah. The ones they wore in the Super Bowl, the one they lost to the... In St. Louis were terrible. Yeah, I, I oh, hate yeah, those. I didn't like those. The the ones that they wore in the Super Bowl, they lost to the Patriots yeah. in eighteen. Yeah, the old those old school. Yeah, old the school Warren Rams. Beatty ones. Yes, having to wait Rams. The Rams should there should be a government like amendment like they have to wear those uniforms. Wait, like how these about new ones stink. Playing at the Coliseum, they wear a color called bone. They they wore three four different kinds of uniforms. They yeah. must have been breaking league rules. I can't imagine. You that say Warren Beatty. You better say that's from the movie. Heaven can wait. Yes, heaven can wait. A lot of the people watching Mm -hmm. and listening will know what you're talking about. It's actually a very watchable sports movie. Yeah, it's a very watchable sports movie. You can Mm -hmm. get it online. Uh, Heaven can wait with Warren Beatty and a bunch of other actors who were big in the day. Yes. Speaking of the Rams, Mm -hmm. General, how much are you buying this uh, Matt Stafford not taking a pay cut, not happy with the Rams kind of stuff that's been floated out of L.A.? You buying any of this with uh, Matt Stafford and the Rams? I'm sure they ask him to take a pay cut because they're giving him 60-something million guaranteed this year, and he refused. I don't blame him. Why would he? But buying all this other stuff involving it, I buy it about as much as I buy the BS that the Astros are going to get Dylan Cease and Lewis Robert from the White Sox, which is one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. You know, it's funny with the Astros trade talk, it, this reminds me of when I was on the air every day at Sports Radio 610. We get trade scenarios. And so I was like, yeah. can we trade our third string whatever for a top-notch pitch? You get all this stuff. Like, the other team's going to take it, really. EA Sports. Yeah. It's, it's in the game. Yeah, it's not going to happen. As Bud Adams always said, it takes two to tango. And that's not what he meant. But you know what? It does take two to tango. Absolutely. Uh, General, what about the show Quarterback on Netflix? It's a big hit. 
You got Pat Mahomes. You have Kirk Cousins. You have Marcus Mariota. And I don't know what you guys think, but to me, the Cousins storyline is very compelling because he's very good, but just not quite good enough to get you over the hump. And maybe it's not just him. Maybe it's a team thing. But, man, he's won a lot of games in this league. He's won a lot of games. He's made a whole lot of money. He was drafted after RG3, who was great as a rookie, then got hurt and was never the same. The one that I don't like, Mariota, I wouldn't put him in there. He quit on his team last year. Just quit on his team. He didn't deserve that kind of publicity. I don't care how good he is. There's too many other compelling quarterbacks, and I can't wait to see the next lineup. And I'm curious to see if any other agents or teams would tell their quarterback, well, you know, there, there's a lot of exposure there. Mm-hmm. And uh, those guys kind of reached up, cut a vein, and bled for that for Peyton Manning's company, Omaha Productions. But it's it's great, and they're going to renew it. And I can't wait to see who the next group are. John, with it being Eve week of training camp, it's all happening starting Wednesday. We'll be out there and you'll be joining us. We're broadcasting in a new location. Don't worry, we'll come get you and find you and we'll work it all out. So where are you broadcasting? It's outstanding. We're at the 50-yard line with the fans on the fan side of things. It's going to be awesome. Kind of like in London. Yeah, kind of like in don't get me started with London. Won't be as cold. But what we can stand up, I suppose. I wish the weather was like in London. Oh. General, what what is your favorite never mind how good the team was, but your favorite training camp? Does it go back to the days of San Angelo? Is it the Junction Boys? No, you weren't there. Was it uh the Greenbrier? What was your favorite training camp to cover? I love the when the Texans went to the Greenbrier and uh, the Browns are there. And I've been given Tony Gross. He covered Browns for 35 years. I've given him all my favorite restaurants. He's staying at the Fairfield Inn where I stayed. And I told him how much fun. I said, make sure you take a jacket because it's going to be cold in the morning. Mm-hmm. He can wear shorts. Told him about the rain. My first, uh, I love San Antonio. San Antonio is the best place I've ever been. The Oilers went there uh you get to go to Trinity, one of the nicest colleges in the country. You got to eat in the faculty dining room that was up on a hill where you looked at downtown in the distance. And mainly, I got to play free golf anywhere I wanted Ooh. in San Antonio. And anybody that played with me got to play free. And I got a double-sized room at the Marriott on the Riverwalk for the media rate at the airport and uh, played golf every day, two-a-day practices, Jack Bardi had practice 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Oh. So we had time to work during the day, play golf, get all our work done, and you didn't have much to do at night unless you had some kind of news. And I just loved it. San Antonio was fabulous. And uh, my first camp of 77 was in Nacogdoches, the only year they ever went there. And they weren't prepared for the heat in the piney woods where all the big trees had Stephen F. Austin kept all the heat in. 36 Ooh. players had spent a night in the hospital getting IV'd that year, and they moved after that to San Angelo. And I'll never forget that first one because where they were, it was hotter than anything I have ever experienced. So they went to the cool summer breezes of San Angelo. I get it. General, I, what do you Temperature drops in San Angelo <laughs> between the days and at night more than any city in Texas. Oh, really? Not- 30 wow. degrees because Ooh. the Santa Ana 
winds will blow through there. Players used to go outside the dorm and just sit around as the breeze came through before they had to get up and do two hours of double, two two hours in the morning, two hours in the afternoon. So it's far enough west to get that. That is interesting stuff. I figured it would still be hot as Hades. General, what are you working on on SportsRadio610.com, etc.? I have a column on SportsRadio610.com, which is free, 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 about 10 things the Texans need to accomplish in training camp. I have an Astros column, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you guys at training camp. It's always a lot of fun. People are more fired up than any training camp under Bill O'Brien because they didn't like Bill. And people ask me, have they ever been this fired up? Well, of course, the first one in 02, they'll never duplicate that. But the one with Gary, Gary Kubiak coming home in 06, this is the most pumped people have been since Kubiak's first one in 06. Outstanding. General, thanks a lot for the time. We appreciate Thank it. Thank you guys very much as always. All right, coming up, John Harris and I play Who's Better? Yeah, that show, the quarterback's going to come up in this. And the wide receivers, among other things, on Texans Radio. Great to have you listening tonight to Texans Radio. Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you. Great to have the general on as well in the last segment. This show will be up on pod soon enough, so you can listen to that if you missed it. And, Johnny, he's right. People are so fired up. I've been talking to radio affiliates around the state, and they say the level of interest in the markets around the state all over this great Lone Star state of ours has not been this high in a long time, in some cases maybe ever. It's hard to judge those things. But you could feel the buzz. You could feel the electricity. Everybody's super pumped up. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I'm, it, it's weird because it's almost like every single stop kind of along the way. Like, okay, coaching change. All right, what's going to happen? Oh, D'Amico Ryans. Oh, I'm, I'm listening. Okay, free agency. We got some money spent. What are we going to do? And that one was a little bit of a slow burn because it was like every single day it was like, wait, Devin Singletary and Dalton Schultz? And we traded for Shaq Mason, but we just signed Sheldon. So it was like free agency climbed. And then you get to the draft, and you have Thursday night of the draft where it's CJ backed up by Will, and you're like, yo. Then, you know, along the way, you've got some contracts, and you got Laramie's extension done. You got that taken care of. So it's all this momentum. And then, you know, we, we go out, we watch this team in OTAs and minicamp, and we could just see – uh, a much improved team from from what it's been, and it's like, yeah, I mean, you can feel the hope growing mm-hmm. uh, as you as you go through, and you know, maybe the biggest domino was D'Amico, and that kind of kicked things off. But I think there were kind of some things moving in that direction already. I think D'Amico was just, a, I mean, that was that was huge for a lot of people to go. That's the guy we believed in as a player. We think that's exactly what this team needs. And look, it may work. It may not work out. It may be an un, un, spectacular failure, but. Sitting here right now, I don't see that happening, and I feel really a lot of hope that he is here working with Nick Casario to build this team uh, for 2023 and beyond. Yeah, I can absolutely I, – I get that. Everybody I talk to, it's the word they use. Man, I'm so hopeful, man. This is really cool. It's not like it's been the last couple of years where people would tell you and me, and I would get tweets, John, I love you. I just can't do it. This year it's a completely different ball game. Yeah, exactly. And that's good. That's good. Exactly. Well, look, last year you were 1-11 at one point. That's not going to happen this year. Right. Okay, freezing cold takes, just recorded that. <laughs> but I doubt that happens this year. Let's I play, won't tell on you. Let's play who's better now. Okay, let's do it. Who's better? Better storyline other than quarterback, Texans offense or Texans defense? Better storyline. I'll say in the early going here, camp, 
getting into the I, season. I think it's Texans offense. I think th- there's just a lot. There's a lot happening with this Texans offense. You know, I think with the defense, with D'Amico and Matt Burke running the defense, you know, there's experience there. Guys, you know, Matt Burke was a D.C. for two or three years. D'Amico's been a D.C. for the last how many ever years since Salah's been uh, with the New York Jets. So uh, you've got experience over there. Um, you don't you – know, obviously, Will's, Will's added to the mix, but you've got experience in nearly every position. So you look at the offense – and not that I'm turning this into a negative. I think it's going to end up being a positive. But, you know, Draw Johnson's quarterback coach for the first time. Bobby Slowick's an offense coordinator for the first time. You could have a, you could have a rookie at quarterback. You could have a rookie and uh, – you could have a rookie quarterback and a rookie center. Yeah. On top of the fact that – I did this last night. Uh, I was finishing up my wide receiver training camp breakdown. So, make sure you're checking those out at HoustonTexans.com. I think quarterback is posted. There will be a few others. I got one more to do. They're all in the can. They're just going to be popping out. So make sure you go check those out, HoustonTexans.com. And I was looking at the receivers. How many receptions, total receptions, from last year do we have returning this year? Oh, total receptions? Total receptions. You've got Nico's. 37. Uh, you've got Amari uh, Rogers, Revin Jordan. You got Amari Rogers. No, I'm talking about just receiv- receivers. Oh, just receivers. You got Amari Rogers. 12. Uh, did did Camp catch anything? One. In his, that's it. That's it. Fifty. That's fifty. You have fifty. Yeah. Receptions uh, returning. Uh, Whereas, think about what the Bengals have returning. Think about what the Chiefs have returning. Think about what the Bills have returning at those particular. So you're saying positions. there's a chance. So my point in that is with receiver, it's not as if you got a bunch of rookies playing, but you might. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you consider Mechie and hopefully. You know, Mechie posted a picture on Instagram in his uniform, and it was like, is that is that the is that the bat signal? Oh, he, I missed this. He yeah. did? Yeah. In his, pads? In his, uh, yeah. In his jersey and pads. It, it might have been just a one of the media days picture. Yeah. But he's got his but helmet he on. But he posted it? Mm-hmm. That's a good sign. Yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's the that kind of the cryptic bat, tweet. I thought that was the bat signal right there. Yeah. I got excited. And I was Johnny, like, if Mechie's out there day one, Oh, do you know how big a story that is? I started thinking about this, Mark. We, you and I have been there for David Quisenberry's first day back mm-hmm. and Dre House's first day back. Yeah. I m- remember Dre House's first, first game back. I mean, we could, you can't forget it. It's 2018 at Jacksonville. It's the bus game, but it's also Dre House's return yeah. that week. And I remember right before uh, you, th- you threw it down to me, I see Dre on the sidelines and I give him a, hu- I mean, a huge hug. And I'm like, I'm emotional for him. I can't imagine what that's going to be for John Mechie. Those guys. I mean, I guess you know DQ had not really played in the NFL. Dre had, so yeah. you know he kind of bounced back into a game. But for David, it was getting to his first NFL action. That was really emotional. And Mechie too. This it is, is going to lift this up. This is going to be incredible. It's going to be a big lift to the whole so, team. So fingers crossed. That's that was kind of the bat signal, and hopefully we get good good news on that over the next few days that he is going to be ready to go for day one. But essentially, he's a rookie on the field. Tank Dell is a rookie on the field. Xavier Hutchinson, rookie on the field. So. But you've got a mix of veterans in there, too. So I think there's going to be a lot of storylines because wide receiver is a sexy position. You like to talk about that. We'll figure out what happens in the interior line. So I think it's offense. All right. Who's better? Better receiving group. Bear with me now. Better receiving group. The Houston Texans or the Tennessee Titans. Now, before. Just receivers. Just receivers. Before people go crazy here, of course, DeAndre Hopkins has joined the Tennessee Titans. We know this. So he's the best receiver among both groups. We get it. Most accomplished. Mm-hmm. You have Robert Woods here instead of there. 
And after that, it gets interesting because who do you have here? You have Traylon Burks over there. How good is he? We don't really know yet. Right. And you have a lot of spec here. You have a lot, a lot of speculation on how good some of these young players can be. We know Nico's good. Like I said the other day, when Nico plays, he makes plays. Mm-hmm. Got Tank Dell coming in. Xavier Hutchinson, like you said. We'll see what else the rest of the group can do. I, you know, it's it's hard to not say the Titans because of Hop. But, yeah. again, you don't really, you don't know where Hop is. I heard somebody say this, and I, I kind of countered this. Like, well, you know, Hop has played with some uh, below average or average to below average quarterbacks before. Yeah, he was also 24 and 25 years old when he was doing that. Yeah. He's, he's no longer that age. You know, he's now dealing with Ryan Tannehill and Will Levis. How about this? Ten years ago, he was getting ready for his first season. Right. When he was 21, freshly mm-hmm. 21. I remember right. we made a big deal about how young he is. Right. He's out there. And he had that overtime game-winning catch against the Tennessee Titans in week two. Good-looking rookie campaign for him mm-hmm. in a bad season, but a good-looking season for him. Promising season with Andre Johnson still on the team. Ten years later, he's 31. How's mm-hmm. it going? What's happening? But, Johnny, take him off the Titans for a moment. Oh, it's Before not even close. the acquisition. Not even close. Not you would say close. the Texans. Yeah, I would say the Texans. Okay. If you were to do a draft, if you did a draft like one through ten of receivers, you would you'd go one Hopkins – then at number two, you, you might, might go, you Burks, might on go Burks on spec. But then after that, you're going to go Woods, Nico, Tank, Mechie. You know, you're going to go all the, the Texans guys until you get down to Nick Westbrook-Akine, who's done mm-hmm. some things in the league. That's the kind of guy that I – I mean, I, I like what we have at receiver. I, I really do. I know people, you know, poo-poo that, that group of receivers. I think it's going to be a good group that can develop – but, man, I, I would love to have a guy like Nick Westbrook-Akine. I think he's perfect as a number three for them. That was the other thing, too. Receivers kind of got to – I don't want to say they got to be – this guy's got to be number one, this guy's got to be number two, this guy's got to be number three. But just what you're asked to do, Westbrook-Akine is the perfect number three. Yeah, but them. I expected bigger things from him last year than he produced. All that's, right, Nick. That's what I'm saying. He's not, a, he's not a two to be able to do that. He's got to be a three. So Hopkins helps Burks and Westbrook-Akine kind of fit their roles. All right, who's better? Best storyline – of the quarterback series, is it Mahomes? Is it Cousins? Is it Mariota? What's the best storyline, the most compelling storyline? doesn't mean the best quarterback. Obviously, that's Mahomes. But what's the best storyline here? As the documentary went on, I was more and more intrigued as to what was going on with Cousins. Okay. And I am – I'm only in episode three or four here. I forget. I've watched it late at night. I, it's a blur. I like the Cousins storyline to follow – not that I'm a huge Cousins fan, but it's interesting to me how he conducts his business, that kind of stuff. You're exactly where I was two, two episodes in, uh, two or three episodes in. It starts to change for me, and I'm starting to see that on social media, too. I'm starting to see this, you know, instead of, oh, Kirk Cousins can't win the big game. You know, there's a discussion about that on the, on the documentary. It becomes more this begrudge, begrudging respect for cousins yeah because you see him get the absolute you know what beat out of him and you see the class with which he has and i interviewed him back in 2013 it was the second year with at the time the redskins and i interviewed him and i found him just to be awesome i i he was very matter of fact about things he is stubborn on a certain thing um and you'll find that out but i feel like not the worm is turning on him he still has to prove he can win it but I feel like that documentary has really made Kirk Cousins, 
I don't want to say a sympathetic figure, but kind of a sympathetic figure. Yeah, you know, he, and I'm not spoiling anything here, there's a lot of grunting in pain oh, yeah. on the sideline. He's like, yeah. it, it almost, I don't want to say it gets comical because it's very serious. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like there's Cousins groaning and grunting again mm -hmm. because he's in such pain during right. these games. And you have never, to respect the ability to take hits. It was never on the injury report, apparently. Yeah, really? Yeah, was, Are you kidding me? Apparently. I'm sure Florio's all yeah, over that. Yeah, he was all over that. Uh, quickie here. Who's better? What's better? Best storyline to follow moving forward. I'm going to give you two names. Justin Herbert or Tua. All right? The guys this morning, Sean and Seth, came out with, I think Seth said Mac Jones. That would be interesting. Baker Mayfield for Sean. But give me a choice here. I'll give you those four. Tua or her are those four? Yeah. You know, Come on, we want Mac Jones because we want to see what's going on inside the building with yeah, you know who. I, Mac Jones is a pretty interesting one, especially because yeah. Bailey Zappi's there. Yeah, and I think they like Zappi, mm -hmm. and I think Mac with you know Mac's kind of volatile, so he's got a volatile OC, mm -hmm. <laughs> so it could, that gets interesting. But I, I think more pressure is on Justin Herbert, yeah, because. He's supposed to be God's gift to quarterbacking in some sense. And look, I'm just as guilty. I've put him up there. I think he's wildly talented, but it hasn't come together yet as a team. What have they done? No. Nothing. They don't get to the playoffs. Then they get to the playoffs and blow a four touchdown lead. Yeah. They've got to do something, or there's going to be hard times, hard times in LA for the Chargers. But most teams would take him in a hot yeah. second. Oh, no, absolutely. All right. Next up, biggest rule change in college football and should the nfl pick it up we'll discuss it's texans radio all right let's keep it going here on texans radio mark vandermeer and john harris with you rule changes coming down in college football and johnny the biggest one and should the nfl adopt this is stopping and starting the clock on first downs and i'm going to read it the way i have it here in the release mm -hmm. from the powers that be when team a the offense gains a first down. The clock will no longer be stopped to award a first down, except with less than two minutes remaining in the second and fourth quarters. This change is effective immediately for division one and division two, and will be implemented in 2024 for D3. I don't know why they have that, but they have it in D1, the college football. We watch the most. They're going to have clock rolling after first downs, except after two minutes to go in the second and fourth quarters. Should do you like it, first of all, and should the NFL adopt this rule? I like it, but I want the NFL to stay what it is. Ooh. Really? Yeah, I really do. I mean, I, I love the the end of games, but I I'd love to watch a team I mean, you know, of course, you know, on one side of it, it's like, well man, I wish we had a timeout or I wish the clock would stop on this drive so we could beat the Titans. The next week it's like, man, I'm glad that rule doesn't exist. I just feel like the the NFL has more opportunities to work on two minute situations that they don't need those that clock to stop. Just let us stop a two minute warning and you got timeouts. That's it. Uh, for colleges, I, I think having that timeout the last two minutes of each half is is gonna or, or the clock stopping after a first down the last two minutes of half. I think that's good. I, I like that rule. I think that's great. It'll shorten the games hopefully by you know a good ten to fifteen minutes. And I know some people were like. Well, the, I mean, you're going to watch the game anyways, but you know what? Look, you're trying to get a different – you're trying to get younger younger people involved in watching the game. It's too long. And it's too long. Yeah. Once you get to 345, it's too long. It's I mean, already even three too hours long. is long. Yeah. But once you get to 330, 345, almost four hours, like some games can get, 
forget it, man. You can't keep stopping the clock. Let that clock run. I think it's perfect the way they've just put it in. Clock stops after first downs the last two minutes each half. Good. Yep. I, like I, I leave I, the NFL alone. Leave the NFL alone. Let the, these guys are professionals. They should be able to do it without the clock stopping after first down. Yeah, clearly, they have problems doing they do. it. Yes, they have problems. You make a good point. You know what? And I'm in favor of this anyway. Mm-hmm. Go back to sudden death overtime, and make the clock stop in fi- inside the final two minutes. Maybe not of the half, but of the, of the uh, game? second half. Of second the game. half. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I I, I could see that. Sun death overtime, boy, that's never coming back. It's never coming it's back. It's never is coming it? back. Jeez. It is not. It's not coming back. Overtime. Okay, here it is. Each team gets a possession, no matter what. Mm-hmm. After that, we're going to. If you tie it up, we're going to the two yard line, and we're going to go. Yeah, like to do in college now. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. Essentially, we're, what doing we're doing college. that. We're yeah. doing that. We can't be there for an entire overtime period and have a tie. Although the first year in college when they went to that rule. So in college now, you go to 25, you play it out. Then second overtime, you go to 25, you play it out, but you have to go for two. Right. Third overtime, you go right to the two-yard line. The first year they did that, Illinois and Penn State played nine overtimes because they couldn't score from the two. Yeah, but at least they're not making the stats go crazy. <laughs> right, it's right. two-yard right. run or right. whatever. And yeah, I like it that way better. Yeah. I college football was getting crazy. Well, well, it was from the get-go. There were crazy yeah. games from the get-go when they adopted overtime. They and all needed those, overtime. All those numbers, guys, throw, guy throws for seven touchdowns. Well, yeah, because he played in nine overtimes. Yeah. He, he needed had the ball it. at the 25-yard line. Right. That's a terrible spot situation. Yeah, yeah you're right. I, I didn't like that. So I kind of like what college football is doing now. It's a, it's a much easier way of doing it. But you're right. Give each team a possession, then go to the two-yard line to battle it out for two-point plays. The other thing about the clock in college football, it's – Always going to be longer because of halftime. You cannot shorten halftime in college football right. because of the bands and the people in the stands needing mm-hmm. to get that halftime show. It's part of the game. That's part of the tradition. I know the half is long when you're watching a TV game compared to the NFL. NFL halftime, you barely have time to visit the restroom. Mm-hmm. I mean, even at home and get back for the second half. It just feels like, yeah. you know. The old, I'm going to mow the lawn at the half. There's nothing you can do at the half. And if you're watching Red Zone, there is no half. Right. Because the games keep going no matter what. They're eternal. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's. <laughs> I was telling somebody about, you'll know where I'm going with this, 2016 at Tennessee, final game of the year. Oh, yeah. And I had a little bit of a stomach issue. Man, I just about missed one of the great things I've ever heard in a locker room, in, in large part because it was so short. It was yeah. so short. Uh, and so, anyways, yeah, it, it really is. Peep behind a curtain. I get coach coming off the field. I send it in. I walk down and get a water. I come in here, and I sit for 30 seconds in the studio. And then I go right back out, and there are three minutes left on the clock. And we got to get going in the second half. It's like, yeah. that's how fast halftime goes. Oh, it's so fast. It's incredibly I visit fast. the restroom. I grab one bite of food, and that's quite it. literally, mm-hmm. and refill drinks back to the booth, but I do a little stats thing yeah, yeah. in the back half of halftime. But even having that six minutes is nice. Meanwhile, Dre's over there with nachos and brisket. Dre's over there in the third <laughs> quarter eating. Oh, and still, I always I always hear about it too. If if we're going with oh, yeah, we if we're going jealous. with the radio team, uh Dre in the third quarter, like, man, Mark, these cookies are great. Meanwhile, yeah. I'm downstairs having eaten nothing because I can't get Sorry. up to eat anything. Sorry about that. <laughs> all right, that's going to do it for the show tonight. Thank you to the general for being on. Check out all our podcasts, including Andre Johnson visiting 
That's on the website and the app and all your podcast platforms. And tomorrow night, Steve McKinney, the Inside Skinny. He's going to be on, among other guests. Thanks for listening. Go Texans.